This is the Marketing Umbrella Podcast, where it's all about getting the information you need from successful leading marketers to build and grow your digital marketing agency. Brought to you by Itumar Shafir, founder and CEO of Umbrella, the technology platform and brand that is powering thousands of marketing agencies around the country. Find him at UmbrellaUS.com. Now, here's your host, Kevin Pruitt. This is the Marketing Umbrella Podcast, and our guest today is a versatile entrepreneur, finance expert, and podcast 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 host. He founded successful tech fitness ventures and raised three hundred and twenty-five million for his first hedge fund by the age of twenty-five. He co-developed ALAN Allen, an AI-driven SaaS platform, alongside Alexi and Lila Hormozzi achieving remarkable growth from zero to 20 million ARR in six months. He currently helps make founders' dreams come true by implementing his product-to-profit framework as a sought-after number two to ambitious founders. Join me in welcoming Tim Calise to the Marketing Umbrella Podcast. Tim, thanks again for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it. I was kind of getting everything ready before I got on Zoom, and I was thinking, you know, sometimes the shortest bios are the people that have done the most, and the longest bios are the people that have probably done the least. So <laughs> I looked at your bio, and I thought, that is a very short bio for, for guests that we have on this podcast, and I know that he has had a long history in his relatively short life of, of things that he's done. So round this out a little bit for us, mention some things that that we didn't know about talk about family you know where you're from yeah absolutely so i am uh, i was born and raised in new york on the north shore of long island my father was in uh, the investment business uh, so professional services but i recognized very early in my life that i was kind of wired a little bit differently everything i saw around me was a problem to be solved and <laughs> i had this burning desire to kind of take these take on these hard roads of of figuring things out. And I think that theme uh, has carried with me all the way through. So when I was in college, I founded two companies while I was in college, one my sophomore year, one my junior year. One was a late night snack delivery business. The other one was a textbook exchange <laughs> program. Both of those taught me lots of great lessons. Uh, and then I moved into the kind of entrepreneurial version of finance, which was uh, the hedge fund industry mm -hmm. in the early 2000s. And that's where all the, it was the wild west. That's where yeah. all the, the kind of growth was. And uh, from the age of 23 to 25, I raised over $325 million uh, from investors around, around the world. Uh, and then shut that down December uh, of 2007, right before the big stock market. That's a good crash. move there. That's shut right. that company down and, and gave all the money back. And then one theme has been when I switch chapters, it's like in a very abrupt leave one world behind and move into mm -hmm. another. And, and so I left the finance world, went into fitness and technology. And that led me uh, a couple of years ago to being introduced to Alex and Layla Hormozzi, who now run a company called Acquisition.com. Uh, and I was part of the executive team there. Company was sold two years ago. And now I'm kind of dedicated my my time to helping the next round of entrepreneurs, uh, hopefully learn some some lessons uh, that I've learned along the way to realize their dreams, hopefully within a shorter amount of time uh, with less bumps and bruises along the way. I love that. I, I uh, let, me, let me ask you, this is kind of, out of left field on this question right here, because as you were kind of laying the groundwork and kind of that, that serpentine journey that you've, you know, kind of been on to get to this point. So we've had a few other guests that have, have had, you know, successful exits. They have, yeah, I mean, life-changing money, 
you know, that they've, that they've, in, you know, made in a, in a relatively short period of time. How would you say on the backside of those, you know, kind of abrupt, you know, changes or improvements or upgrades or whatever you want to call it, you know, we have to fly in business class and, and first class. So tell me how that changed you and how it changed how you approach business, how you approach life. Yeah, so every one of these chapters has kind of come with lessons, but uh, has kind of left each chapter really being the same person, though along the way, there's this regression. And what that means for me is every time I kind of get too far ahead of myself or too far below this line, everything kind of trends mm. towards this. Why, if I'm chasing a, a financial opportunity, usually it doesn't work out very well. And the reason is, is I know the authenticity of it's about the work. It's mm. not about the outcome. Yep. And so I think as I've evolved as a person, these events, if you kind of stack them up, in the early part of my life, it was in my early 20s, it was let's go make some money. And then after that, it was like, all right, kind of I have enough to be comfortable. My basic needs are covered. What do I actually want to do? Mm. And then I moved into yep. fitness and technology because that was of interest to me. And now I'm in a phase of my life where, you know, I could go work at an investment bank if I wanted to, but I'm a father of three and I, I simply just don't subscribe to the hustle and grind yeah. approach. Yes, there are seasons in life and we can go through all those analogies, but I fundamentally was changed a couple of years ago when I was introduced to someone uh, who makes $12 million a year working four hours a, a week. Mm. And that broke something in me, which was like, you can kind of have your cake and eat it too. It's not a question of whether it's possible. It's a question of what needs to be true for that to be possible. Yeah. And I needed that reminder because I was starting to go down the path of, you know, 80 hour weeks again, mm -hmm. and, and it was just not the right decision, but it was, it's like the the siren song, if you will, of yeah. uh, if you do more, you'll get more. And and I've just learned that lesson and been served that lesson multiple mm -hmm. times along the way. And I, I I think you know I I've never been faced with that that eventuality, but I I do think that there's a point where you would think you know enough is enough. I mean, another ten million doesn't doesn't move the needle, you know, in my life type things. Yeah. So how do you how do you figure out you know what is the cost of freedom? What is the cost of yeah. lifestyle? You know that you want to achieve. Yeah. But it sounded very much and like I, an I learned this. I learned this lesson in my hedge fund world. I mean, when you're looking at a screen and just very basic primer of how mm -hmm. this world works. If we had $100 million from our investors, banks like Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan and others uh, would lend us more money to, to invest. Yeah. So if we had $100 million of capital, we could invest four, five, six hundred million dollars mm. in some. So just imagine it at 24, I looked at a screen and said, if you wanted to, you could go spend a billion dollars right now. If you yeah. internalize what that number means, you will be petrified all day long. You, you know, it, it just, it can't be a financial number. It just has to be a number. And I mean that from the standpoint of that conditioned me to look at money from the standpoint. And again, all of my basic needs were covered. Mm -hmm. I wasn't chasing, you know, ever bigger dollars. It's the scoreboard that kind of exists. Yeah. But it's not like, oh, I need another 10 million so I can go do this thing. It's like, mm -hmm. I just want to see the number continue to grow and I'm battling, you know, I'm kind of competing against the myself right. yesterday, right? And I think the most successful people have always been committed to the process. 
the number is just the scorecard. Mm -hmm. It's not the, it's not the, you know, it's, it's the process, not the goal. Right. So I, the journey, not the destination, whatever analogy you want to use. And I love, I just love the idea of being an entrepreneur. I love the mm -hmm. idea of working with ideas. I love the idea of yeah. working with people who see the world in a certain way. Right. So I think I'm addicted to that. And it has some kind of outcomes that, that usually go along to that, to that process. And and it's interesting because you probably, and I, I'm not playing your shrink here, but I, I think you would also have to battle. It's not just the, the hustle and grind culture. It's the internal drive that you have that says, I want to win at this game. There's an athletic metaphor, you know, here that, that that's oh, at yes. play that says I'm competing, not, I may be competing against myself. You know, it's kind of like even fitness goals. I'm competing against who I was yeah. yesterday. So I yeah. love the, how, however many entrepreneurs we have on, on this show, you know, at different times that the idea of the, you know, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. I mean, if you're an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. you are constantly seeing opportunity you know, and in, in front of you and everything is like a, a challenge to figure out how to do it better, how to make it better, how to improve the process. Walk us through of just really quickly, kind of what are you, you talked a little bit about, you know, up to the kind of the hedge fund side of things, but post that, what did it look like when on the backside of that, what did it look like when you stepped into, you know, kind of the fitness space? What are some, you know, like, real early learnings, you know, in that journey that you kind of look back and you think these have really kind of paid dividends over the, over the years. Yeah. Something you said just a second ago dovetails into that really nicely for me, which is in the, in my early years, I can remember thinking, and it wasn't necessarily a scarcity mindset, but it was a, you know, yes, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail and it was feeling fearful around not having either enough opportunities to choose from or the right opportunities to choose from. I, mm. And, and I, I distinctly remember that feeling like I had to kind of chase those opportunities when they came out of fear. Fast forward to today, yes, everything, I, I do feel I'm a, a hammer in that analogy and everything could be a nail, but my thinking has gone from not, it, it, not being fearful of volume, it's fearful of overcommitment. So I think the pendulum mm -hmm. has kind of swung the other way. And so now instead of thinking about is this is an outcome possible with an opportunity, it's is the outcome that I need, number one, it's bigger than it was in the beginning part of my career, but mm -hmm. is it probable? Mm. And the reason why that's important is I I learned this lesson post hedge fund, huge leverage opportunity, great money, the whole nine yards. And I moved into brick and mortar fitness and I spent almost a decade there. And in hindsight, I entered that opportunity thinking, is it possible I can make this work? And in reality, the outcome that I got was not probable and it was significantly smaller than I should have been thinking about. Hmm. So I went from big opportunities, you know, setting a high standard, setting a lofty goal to kind of playing it safe. And I think I fell prey to proving to myself that I could do something difficult. And the learning was sometimes the easy path is the right one to choose mm -hmm. because you don't always have to prove to yourself that you're the gladiator. So now I, if you think of this it's kind great, of like, yeah. how do I think about the world now? My buy box, like my, my, uh, the conditions under which I want to get involved is 
Is it something that actually feels easy for me, mm -hmm. but is valuable to someone else? Hmm. And is the opportunity big? Because I have, you know, Mark Cuban is, is, is notorious for this, thinking about, you know, time is your most precious yeah. asset and things like that. Now I actually believe it. I didn't understand it a decade ago. So now if I'm going to dedicate my time to something, it's got to be a really big opportunity. Mm. And it's because I'm now saying no a lot and whittling it down to like, not everything has to be climbing the proverbial mountain, mm -hmm. uh, you know, bleeding along the way. There are some things that I'm really uniquely skilled to do, which can be aligned with a big opportunity. Just means that I might only get, you know, two or three at bats a year rather than, you know, swinging it at every opportunity that right. my way. Right. And so that's a lesson I would teach anybody is like, set the high standard, maintain the standard, mm -hmm. uh, because you'll end up swinging at pitches that you shouldn't otherwise. You, you said something really interesting about, you know, don't look at the possible, look at the probable, but, and, and then you said, I, I choose the opportunities that, that I find easy that would be helpful, you know, to someone else. How do you balance the idea of it being easy for you with the inherent challenge that you love to kind of take on as, as the way, you know, you've been wired? Those almost seem like yeah. antithetical, you know, a little bit. So. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, we're you know, right? We're we're raised in this idea of, I'll say, I had the perspective when I was growing up that the most successful people are the ones who can voluntarily accept and with withstand pressure. Pressure, you know, it's the gladiator mentality, and I think now, I just feel differently about it. I feel that. I am doubling down on my strengths. Mm -hmm. I now view business more of a collaborative effort rather than a, you need to be the smartest guy in the room. I just need to be really good at what I bring to the table. I happen to have discovered through a lot of self-reflection and probably life serving me the, uh, the, the questions and lessons along the way to be much more narrow in, in my thinking. I don't have to be an expert in everything. I have fallen into, and I think, to a great benefit. I'm a generalist, which means I can look at the entire business and understand how decisions impact everything, mm -hmm. but I'm really good at a couple of things. Yeah. And product is one, positioning is one. I'm not the best marketer in the world, but I know what product market fit mm -hmm. looks like. Right. And I know how to get there. I have folks in my network who, if I need to run funnels, I can yeah. go to them. If I want to write copy, I have other people. I just spent a lot of years trying to get really good at everything. And it just, it mm -hmm. felt really hard. So number one, number two, I no longer rely on the business to fuel those parts of me inside to feel successful. And for a very long time, I was filling those gaps with, I need to go get, you know, put up, put up a win on the board. You know what I mean? To feel good about myself and that, and not, not to get kind of too far down that road. Um, but I think that's very common, which is, you know, we look to outside, uh, outside things to, to fill those gaps. Now it's like, I'm willing to take the easy path and feel really valuable and really mm -hmm. good. And the last thing I'll say is I also realized that I thrive in chaos. And when things get too smooth, I am really good at, you know, undermining <laughs> myself in those situations. And when you see that pattern, you have to start to recognize that, like, it's okay sometimes to be a uh, 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 a smooth water sailor rather than, mm -hmm. you know, 
turning the boat into the a storm. Just to, there you go. To, 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 prove it, to prove it to yourself that you can survive on the other side. <laughs> How good is my boat? I'm going to test it again. That's <laughs> right. Yep. Yeah. It God, is uh, exactly right. I mean, the realization that you, one realization I think you've come to is just the idea that, you know, my identity is not just tied up in the wins and losses in my business. You know, and that life's, yeah. life's bigger than that. It's, it's more comprehensive than yeah. that. But I would love to know, like, what does a typical day look like? You know, you, do you, are you just bombarded with opportunities? People just know who you are, know you're in the space, you know, your network. I mean, are people just saying, Hey, Tim, I, you got 15 minutes, grab a cup of coffee. I want to I want to bounce an idea off of you. Yeah, my day is actually very low key. I used to have the packed calendar. And so now I wake up, I get my kids off to school and I've segmented my week so that I typically run a four day work week. It's now more like a three and a half day work You're week. aiming to Your a four hour work week, kind right? Of, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm well, it's, for me, I realized I had to I had to set time aside where I didn't have meetings um, right. so I could be more creative. I naturally like to be busy and therefore i kind of didn't set time aside for myself to be creative so mm -hmm. now I've, I've done a better job at that but even in your intro you said something which is exactly right which is i i'm kind of the number two guy i've been the number two guy now multiple times in a couple of instances so i missed the boat personally on the personal branding idea <laughs> social media you know so i'm starting late to that game so i am not bombarded from the standpoint of I just I I've been kind of relatively unknown out in the marketplace and in the beginning of this kind of last co couple of year initiative I tried to kind of put the personal brand more front and center trying to be something for everyone and now it's I've changed course a little bit I have focused much more on you know joint ventures and partnerships and and creating this kind of very tight knit collaborative community mm -hmm. and being known in that for who I am how I see the world not the traditional niching down of, you know, I help plumbers between 700,000 and $750,000 right. right. a year, yeah. you know, get more clients. That's just yeah. not my, I want to have a, a, a highly leveraged life in a collaborative environment. And if that's for you, then, then we're probably mm -hmm. going to go along very, very well. And I, I'm assuming you, you also are pretty selective on who you work with at this stage too, you know, cause you don't have to work with anybody. I mean, yeah. you just, it, it is like, do I want to, you know, engage with this individual or this, this company or whatever over the next few, few years or months or years, but talk, talk about uh, working with Alex Hormozy. If there's anybody ubiquitously on social media right now, I mean, he has got to be in the top three, you know, of, of people mm -hmm. that I see on, on the socials right now. So, so talk about, yeah. and he and Layla as well, talk about that, that, you know, engagement and, you know, how you guys interacted and how you even came to this opportunity. Yeah. So as I, it's these funny kind of times in life where I exited the hedge fund business, got into fitness and technology, was part of a franchise. And then in 2018, I believe it was, I became a client of Gym Launch, which was Alex and Layla's initial company. Mm -hmm. And we had a sister company called Prestige Labs, which is a supplement business. And they had a sales challenge in January, I think it was 2018. And I was one of the top 10 salespeople in the country that we sold into our gyms. And so we want a trip to meet them, or I want a trip to meet them. And we're all sitting around literally at their dining table in at their house, uh, in their house in, in Austin, Texas. And everybody's going around. It was kind of an impromptu uh, consulting day effectively. Mm -hmm. And everyone's saying, you know, how do I market better? How do I, you know, hire more coaches, that kind of stuff. And then it came to me and Alex looked at me and said, dude, you're in the wrong opportunity vehicle. 
you should sell your gyms and go do something else. You are far too smart to be doing this. And I'm like, <laughs> I appreciate the kind words, but it actually struck me. Like I needed permission to kind of move on to the mm-hmm. next phase. And so I ended up effectively selling off my gyms. And Alex called me a couple of months later with a business problem. Uh, we had exchanged numbers. And he said, you know, this is what I think I'm going to do. What do you think? And I remember my first words to him were, do I? Do you want me to tell you that you're right? Or do you want me to tell you what I would do? And he's like, I want you to tell me what you would do. And I said, I think you have it all wrong. You should do this, this, and this. Two months later, he was hiring, you know, basically executives to help him run that business. Mm-hmm. It was a rocket ship. And so it was Alex, Layla, myself, and our CFO as the main people at the at the company. I ran Prestige Labs for a couple of months. Uh, and then I ran Allen, which was our technology business. Mm-hmm. Alex is the probably the smartest person I have ever met mixed with the most clear on exactly who he is and Mm. how he sees the world. And I admire his ability to build a very strong wall around those components Mm -hmm. of him. He doesn't care about the outside world, his, their opinion. He knows exactly who he is and what he's trying to do and conventional wisdom be damned. Mm-hmm. And I have a lot of appreciation for that. So it was a phenomenal opportunity. We still keep in touch. And, and you know, in some of those early videos, it's him with a little small American flag in the corner with a whiteboard behind him. That was uh, that was that I ended up moving to Austin and living effectively next door to him. So uh, I was in, you know, in, in and around that time. It was felt like the early more, you know, early parts of Facebook or, or mm-hmm. probably Tesla yeah. or some of these companies, yeah. but it was a, a phenomenal experience and one I'll take uh, and cherish for, for quite a long time. I imagine that if I was interviewing him and asking him about that time, he'd probably say, yeah, this guy told me what I didn't want, well, what I wanted to hear. He told me what I needed to hear. And, uh, you know, he, he, yeah, he appreciated that. that. He was clearly a strong and, personality. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, yeah. I mean, just look at the way that, you know, he dresses like on videos. You're thinking, dude, you don't, you really don't care. You know, that, that is, that is like, this is who I am kind of take it or leave it. But I love to kind of look at, you know, just entrepreneurs as a whole, like, you know, what is, what makes them tick and the whole idea, you know, I've kind of this theory about, you know, that they have a genetic disposition. There's kind of DNA built into, you know, them, they're wired a unique way, but it doesn't sound like to me that it really matters what the, what the product is that you are dealing with. I mean, you may want to be involved. You may want to have an interest in it, but you've, you've been in some different spaces, you know, for sure. And you continue to be. So what's the, what, what kind of catches your eye, you know, as so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. So the through line for me, uh, and you're absolutely right. It kind of has, has gone across different industries, but the through line is I believe and this is deeply rooted in me because I can remember from an early age, uh, I I cared deeply about people. Number one, number two, I was always very comfortable with people kind of older than I was, or more advanced than I was, mm-hmm. or, or a couple steps ahead. I was the younger, you know, the kid growing up who was more comfortable with adults than, than peers. And so the through line for me is I seek out opportunities where that are rooted in a relationship based approach to the Mm. business. For example, that means memberships, subscriptions, recurring revenue opportunities, right? Because I really love the idea of creating an opportunity to solve a problem today 
earn the trust of that customer and then find other problems to solve in the future mm -hmm. uh, for that person. And I don't like high capital intensity businesses. I don't know anything about biotech. I don't know anything about manufacturing, things like that. So although I've, I was kind of services has mm -hmm. been my sweet spot, uh, specifically around recurring revenue, and most of the opportunities that I work, folks that I work with right now are either people who don't have recurring revenue, but should, mm -hmm. and I can implement that kind of process with, with some experience, or their, their business is, I'm a big car guy, I'm a yep. big Formula One fan, so just bear with me for a second. Everybody talks about business in terms of like the size of the engine. Mm -hmm. you know, I'm firing on all cylinders, I'm putting the pedal <laughs> to the metal. I think it misses the mark because what actually matters is how much power makes it to the wheels. Mm. So I act as the transmission and I find opportunities where the engine is almost overheating because it's so pedal to the metal and things are moving so quickly, but it is so inefficient that like the car is almost just, you know, kind of in neutral. So if I can take all of that energy and, you know, kind of direct it in the right way with some key changes, usually it's simplicity and clarity, then we get more power to the wheels. And those are the things that I like because those opportunities kind of to my heart is where the entrepreneur is like, I'm doing everything I can think of. Mm -hmm. I'm putting more money, more time, more effort, more people, and it's just not working. And I know what that feels like. And so I like to, my my kind of like moral payoff is it's the breath of fresh, breath of fresh air to right. say, you actually don't need to just do more. You need to do different. Mm -hmm. And let me give you decades of, of, uh, of experience and I can consolidate it into probably minutes or hours or days. I, you said something really interesting just a second ago about the idea that, you know, this is kind of, you said, this is my through line. And so speak to our, our audience, just directly to them there. So just assume that they are, you know, marketing agency owners, they are professional services owners, you know, start started businesses in that space. Talk about how they could, you know, reassess, pivot, just aim at kind of the things that you see as important and profitable, you know, based on your through line that says, you know, hey, what is this recurring revenue? What is this subscription base? What is this, you know, what are some ways that they could look at their own companies, you know, kind of in, in with that framework? Yeah. So I actually have a framework around this, which uh, as we get to the end, I'll give you a way to, to I'd love to provide that to you. Mm -hmm. um, and I call it the product expansion formula. And the idea is, there are only six ways, six things that we can offer to a potential customer. Three of them are physical and three of them are digital. And it's effectively a product, a service or access. So what this, the way I think about this is let's map the existing business into one of those six buckets or across those six buckets. And so the next thing we want to do is to say a, a well-performing company can actually span all six of those. So if you're in, uh, I, I worked with folks in, in home services, as an mm -hmm. example. And the basic example of this would be a physical product would be, I'm going to put in a new hot water heater. Physical service would be, I'm going to come in on a recurring basis and do a tune-up or something like that. A physical access would be, I'm going to pay a retainer to get one hour of service 
if I ever need to, or mm -hmm. a Q&A, or access to an expert, or something like that. The digital version, the digital product, could be uh, here's how here's an ebook or a or a framework on how to uh, improve my efficiency of my hot water heater. Here are five tips on how to get more hot water heater faster or hot water faster. Your digital service could be uh, you know we're going to have a mastermind around home uh, homeowners and how to reduce your expenses. Mm -hmm. And digital access could be, we have a Facebook group for homeowners in our area to ask questions and something yeah. like that. Whatever the things are, that's probably a, you know, a very rudimentary example. But we had a mattress store who was a client of ours. And they said, you know, we sell mattresses. It's like, I'm just going here because it's kind of farther afield. Right. Most mattress stores don't think recurring revenue and service and things like that. We sell mattresses. You actually don't sell mattresses. What you sell is better sleep. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. So physical products are mattresses, pillows, sheets, et cetera, et cetera. But what recurring revenue can we build in? Well, we'll come in and we'll do the kind of vacuum and, and refresh your mattress every year because, you know, all, all the, the things that build up and things like that. We'll flip and turn your mattress way back when, when that was a thing. Mm -hmm. We also need, you know, consumables. Might be a spray that we're going to use to make sure that you get better sleep. Might be the knee pillow. It might be, mm -hmm. you kind of get your mind thinking about, well, what, what problem am I ultimately solving? I think we very much uh, sit in the kind of the immediate thing in front of us. Yep. If you widen your lens a little bit, you can actually see that there's lots of opportunities. And when somebody knows, likes, and trusts you, they're much more open for you to be, we call it kind of how many wallets can I be involved mm -hmm. in? How many budgets can I be right. involved in? Uh, and in the fitness world, it was you know gym gym memberships versus accountability coaching versus uh, nutritional guidance. Mm -hmm. To say those are three different wallets, but I can be the provider of all three. You wouldn't yeah. say I'm not going to join the gym because I need to eat tomorrow. Right, right, right. They're two different budgets. Right, and so I try to have as many budgets as possible uh, with with each client. I uh, I think you missed a service related to Mark to the mattress place. You, you've got to have somebody to come in and reattach tags that consumers illegally remove. The, <laughs> so, exactly right. Uh, you know, under penalty of law, if you remove this tag. So, I do want to you know circle back and make sure we include a link you know to to that framework yeah. because I think that would be so important to our to our listeners. But we touched on a lot of things. Um, why Formula One? You're a Yank. I mean, you're you're American. Why in the world would you be so connected to Formula One? You know, I so number one, I think it's because of it's probably the glitz and the glamour of it early on appeal <laughs> yeah. to me. But as I've learned more and more about it, it's like a technology. I've always loved cars. It's like the best technology that we have mm -hmm. today came most of it came from Formula One. The money's big. The people are big. The races are big. Yeah. You know, it's it's obviously taken on a life of its own, kind of in, in recent years. But there's something about going incredibly fast and the cornering that Formula One car can do. As I relate it to my life, it's a lot of car racing is like straight line stuff. A Formula One car can turn on a dime. Yeah, and I think there's something in me that has identified or I, it identifies with. This idea of going straight ahead, hard brake, right turn, mm -hmm. you know, back on the gas again. Yeah. That's kind of how you drive a car like that. 
And I think it actually resonates a lot with me around kind of how I've lived my life, which is straight ahead, full send. And then when we're reaching the corner, full break, turn, make a change, and then get back on right. the gas again. I don't underappreciate the uh, the parallels uh, the, the parallels there for me. I do think that uh, you know Formula One is the very best at getting the power to the wheels. You know, to to use your, agree your analogy that. that you had earlier, yeah. but we're going to shift right now. This is one of my favorite parts of the of the interview. Is the our chat is is our rapid fire round, disparate questions, and you you know just answer the first thing that comes to mind. So, uh, did you get along with your parents growing up? Yes. Do you have siblings? Yes. Do you sisters. have a pet or pets? I have two, two golden doodles. Both, uh, I, I've, I've named my dogs after famous people in racing. So I had Enzo for Enzo Ferrari, and now I have Dino for uh, who was Enzo's son. Uh, so both named after Ferraris. <laughs> Probably a Schumacher fan somewhere back in the back in the day too. So. Somewhere that's um, right. Kids, I have three, all kind of in the younger teenage years. Uh, two girls and a boy. I, I mean, that's the startup in itself. You know, <laughs> three teenagers it in the house, that's for sure. What yeah. time do you wake up in the morning? Typically five plus or minus. And go to bed at what time after, generally? Uh, 10. Ideal vacation spot outside of Monaco for the Formula One race. <laughs> Anywhere oh, in the world. Money, not, a, not, a, not an object. Uh, right now, my favorite place is probably Italy. So how Florence. does... How does faith interface with how you do business? For me, it is, it, it's funny, kind of, we're recording this in January. So we just went through all the Christmas movies and things like that. Mm -hmm. And one of my kids' favorite movies, the line is effectively, believing is seeing, not seeing is believing. Mm. And I think so much of being in business for yourself or even just envisioning your life you have to almost take action before you see the results. Mm. And that really resonates with me. So uh, it is around belief in myself, belief in something that the, that the future can be brighter than the present or the past. And that it's giving me shivers right now, just even thinking about it. Like everything that has ever happened in my life has come with an invisible hand. Mm -hmm. label that however you will, but I have a belief that there is something bigger than myself. And I think just as a human, it's, it's a healthy thing to live outside yourself, you know, holistically. If you were king for a day, what is one thing you would change about the marketing climate? That there was, that there's an authenticity score around capability and experience to separate those, use the analogy of like, I would have the tide go out so you could see who's wearing a bathing suit. Mm, that I love, love that. That is a great analogy. That is, a, I'm gonna I'm gonna remember that one in, in future interviews. I'm gonna say we're gonna let the tide go out, find out who's wearing bathing suits. Anything that we haven't touched on, you just like to close this up with today. A special project you're working on, book you've released, anything related in that space, and then please remind me what that link is for their for your framework. Yeah. So what I'm working on right now is what I call the co-creator community. It is a low ticket uh, hybrid one-on-one -on -one group. So if you are the type of person, entrepreneurial isolation and confusion is the number one problem I solve. Mm. So if you are sitting out there going, I really wish I needed like a mentor or some insights, 
this is a great way. We meet about once a week. Uh, I'm teaching something that I get from my one-on-one -on -one clients. I, I share that out to the community. Um, but you also have the ability to ask questions and get access to me along the way. So it is something I'm really passionate about. Mm -hmm. I did one-on-one -on -one consulting and investing almost all the way through the end of last year. And this uh, group is now launching uh, in January, 2024. So that's a way for me to continue to give back to folks that may not be a one-on-one -on -one client, but I'd love to have you as a part of that for being in the listener today. And the way to get that framework uh, is to go to Instagram, tim.calise, and DM me the word umbrella, okay. U-M-B-R-E-L-L-A, and I will give you a, uh, I want to give that uh, that framework to you, that, that product expansion formula, um, and then happy to answer any other questions that you have and, and would love to have you as part of that community as well if, uh, if it fits. Sounds good. Sounds good. Tim, thank you so much just for taking time. And uh, I, I, I've loved the chat. It's It's been really interesting. I, I have really struggled with trying to frame questions because I had, I, I could have chased so many different directions. I'm thinking, okay, I got to remember who our audience is that we're speaking to because <laughs> I mean, I just, it was just me listening, you know, sitting in your office, just listening to you, you share your experiences, but um, it has really been insightful. And I, I, I know our listeners would enjoy this the episode for sure but just thanks again for taking your time and just helping marketing agency owners grow and scale their business with umbrella thanks again tim have a great day thank you same to you thank you thank you for tuning in to another great episode of the marketing umbrella podcast where we provide the information you need from successful leading marketers to build and grow your digital marketing agency to learn more go to umbrellaus.com